0: Simon. Hello. Hey, Simon. Hey, Simon. It's Skylar. Hey, Simon. Hello, Simon. What's
1: up, Simon? How are you
0: doing? Hey. Hello. Simon.
1: Hello, Simon. Hello, Simon. Hi. Conversations with storytellers. Wisdom, folk, and fairy tales from our elders. A meeting with professional storytellers. After the passing of some great storytellers, I decided I wanted to interview some of the elders in the community of traditional storytelling. I wanted to capture their thoughts, their ideas, and maybe ideals in their own voices. I didn't want a traditional interview, but a conversation with these folks. Some will tell us their favourite stories. Others will share their thoughts on our profession. Some will give us glimpses of their lives and the lives of those around them who their mentors and inspirations were, or are. All of them share gems of wisdom. This and the following conversation, along with the podcast episode of Lauren Naomi, were all recorded at Sharing the Fire, the Northeast Storytelling Conference. Because of this, the interviews have been shorter than I might have liked, They were in rooms otherwise being used, or about to be used, and we had other commitments to get to. Still, I'm glad I was able to talk with these folks one-on-one. This particular conversation is with Elisa Permain. I have known Elisa for a long while. Over the years, I've done workshops with her to tell her stories, read her books, listened to her recordings. She has always inspired my work and made me look at myself more closely and deeply, not just as a storyteller, but also as a human being. Elisa is one of the people who began and helped build the storytelling movement in the Boston area, in the northeast of the USA back in the day. She worked with and alongside some of the best storytellers New England has to offer. She is, in her own right, an amazing storyteller. Elisa has worked with and through healing from the beginning of her career, creating projects seemingly before their time. Elisa was and still is a dancer, a storyteller, and a healer. And she smiles all the time, which I love, sharing her compassion and light wherever she goes. During this interview, you'll hear Elisa mention Doug, Jay, and Judith. These folks are Doug Lipman, J.O. Callahan, and the remarkable Judith Black. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Elisa Permain. Elisa, thank you so much for joining me here today. Um, I don't know how long that I've known you for, but it's been, it's been a long while. Um, I think I, I went to one of your workshops before I heard you tell, stale, tell tales, and then when I heard you tell tales, it was just like, wow, this is amazing. You're one of the most compassionate people um, that I've met with a heart, size of a planet and I, I just I love you to death oh thank you um what I'd like to ask you is uh if you would is to tell me a little bit about your childhood growing up what was it like
0: ah well in a lot of ways it was wonderful because we lived in the country down a long driveway surrounded by woods and swamps and little knolls and we spent most of our time outside playing in said places, building little houses in the woods and climbing trees. Ah. And, uh, so I feel very connected and comfortable in those surroundings. And um, my, my family, I'm the oldest, okay. and so uh, I did tell stories to my siblings, especially at nights when we all had to sleep in the same room for one reason or another, okay. um, and my Dad loved to tell stories, family stories mostly, but also sometimes, you know, off-color <laughs> jokes and things. Oh, really? <laughs> like all good dads. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, so there's a nice history of family. Uh, people keeping the history and telling the stories of the history of the family. Of the family. That's yeah. really
1: cool. Yeah. Did he? Did he also do stories that um, that were about? Inv- um, his environment around him, not the environment, but you know, like what it was like growing up in, in for him as a kid.
0: Yeah, well, he, um, his dad left suddenly when he was about, I think, fifteen. But so, but he had this idyllic picture of his dad, and so he told a lot of stories about how um, they had this house on the cape. And how his dad would go and dive under the water and bring up lobsters, and how he would take him out fishing, and he taught him how to sail, and and taught him how to you know fish for trout in the streams, and oh, wow. so a lot. Yeah, there was a lot of that. So, so your family
1: was all your family kind
0: of woodsy, if you if you were. Um, not my mother's side, not so much. Okay. Um, but that was his experience, and his dad. Um, was became an organic gardener farmer um, that was what he did tried to do for a living for mm-hmm. a long time and so there was a lot of that
1: that's that's really cool yeah so do you think he was he was one of your biggest one of the biggest influences influences on
0: you yeah my dad interesting that we have a lot in common compared to my mom and siblings yeah We're we're much more outgoing and Jovial, and I, mean, I might appear shy compared to the average person, but in my family, I'm I'm the most sort of obnoxious. Type
1: A. <laughs> yeah. I'm type A or, yeah, obnoxious. <laughs> words
0: too. So, do you, do you have any favorite stories from your
1: childhood that you remember?
0: Stories from my childhood. Or books. Well, like kids' books. Um, you know, he mostly at night he would come. To the bedroom, and he he played ukulele and he pa- played accordion. So every night, mostly, we would sing the old, very typical songs like "Oh Susanna, don't right. you cry for me," yeah. and we loved it. So we did a lot of singing. Um, of course, I read all the you know I was read to a lot of the stories as well. Um, I know later I, I I loved the Secret Garden and just the idea yeah. of it. You know, having a secret. And I've always wanted that since a place I could go with walls around it and uh, yeah. be among plants and flowers. I've,
1: I've had similar.
0: Uh, yeah. Of course,
1: you know, English gardens are very much like that. Oh, Here they are. Tiny, yes. They are. Because so all you need is it?
0: <laughs> you don't need a lot of space. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. I
1: love walled gardens. They're so much fun. Yeah. So the music thing, do you, did you pick up on anything? i am Not seen.
0: musical. Really? But we also danced. He loved to dance, both my parents loved to dance. Uh-huh. And so a lot of nights after dinner we did roll back the rug and, and put on music. So, so yeah, I've been dancing since I could waltz well, on so my father's shoes. and, and uh, So that, so. before I was a storyteller, I was a dancer. Always really? trying to make up dances. Yeah, that's how I got into it. It, was, it. Was I would choreograph something and nobody would know what, and I was trying to tell a story, but nobody knew what the story was. So, were these what kind of stories were these? Oh gosh, if I can remember, because this was back, you know, in my earlier Um, twenties. Were they original stories? No, they weren't. Like it wasn't like I had a you know I didn't understand then the nature of story the way I do now with beginning, middle, end, but trying to depict something, you know, some kind of scene with. Emotional with characters and feelings, right. and you know, people didn't get it the way I wanted them to. Right. But then, luckily, uh, along came this group called the Wallflower Order from California. It was a, a dance theater troupe of women, very you know, political <laughs> women, and they were having this two-week uh, workshop. So I went, and and we did um, we did a lot of dancing, but we also all choreographed. Our own sort of stories, um, or poetry in the beginning, uh, to with dance. So that was my first experience putting words to movement. Right. And then a bunch of us stayed together afterwards, and we began to really tell stories uh, of our experiences. And this is where you might have heard this story before, where we all were telling stories about difficult experiences we had had with sort of violence and empowerment and and i had been in my early 20s in a, a relationship my first love that turned violent and abuse you know verbally and physically abusive and so i danced told that story and it was completely transformative for me oh i imagine you know i went from being so you know from being ashamed that i hadn't gotten out sooner uh, because it was, you know, it was the yeah. 70s. It was women's lib and everybody's supposed to be, you know, strong. and. <laughs> yeah, but
1: that's difficult. That's,
0: yeah, well, yeah, the situation was impossible. Yeah. Um, very isolated. But in the process of it, I I was able to re-step into the shoes of who I'd been and to kind of get why it was so hard to, yeah. to stand up for myself, to fight back or to get away, you know. And, and so then the empathy and the moving really moving through it and then allowing the anger to come out in the movement and then came the tears and then came just a much stronger sense of boy i don't deserve that and no one does and yeah. so you know it was really wonderful cuz we we did our stories for the community and then i did it for some battered women's groups and stuff and it someone said to me along the line this is storytelling and hey they're doing this in boston you know <laughs> And so, so you went to Boston. So. Yeah, and and uh, you know that's where I saw Jay and Lee Ellen and Doug and and uh, took a class with Lee Ellen and then a bunch of classes with Doug and it was all down the smooth hill into Storyland from there. That's great. So so the stories that you t- first started
1: telling were they traditional stories or were they folk tales? Because I know you as, as a folk teller.
0: Yeah, but the very first story, after I told that story, mm-hmm. the next one was I interviewed a whole bunch of Vietnam <clears throat> veterans about their experiences. And combined with reading a lot of stories and telling, I, I put on a one-woman show in the first person of someone who'd been through the experience, sort of pulling all the stories together. and um,
1: Composite character.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, and um, you know, Storytellers in Concert, you've probably heard of that, which was Judith and and Doug and, and Jennifer Justice. Jay had been in it, but I think he'd moved on by then. Yeah. Uh, so I did it there, and I did a few, you know, a bunch of other places, some for high school kids. And, but it was right when the movie Nam came out, and oh, there was right. another one, <laughs> full metal jacket, I think. And yeah, so everybody, yeah, and yeah. everybody was just, Vietnam, Vietnam, and so it, was, it became harder to, to sell. But right, still, it was an amazing experience.
1: Right, so did you tell, so you, you were talking to the to vets, were you yes. telling the story as a, as a female vet or as a male vet? Male,
0: male vet. Were there any, were there many female vets? Back then? Nurses, there nurses, were a lot yeah. of nurse stories, but there I- Were there soldiers, were there? No, okay. <clears throat> but a lot of nurses who had, you know, some of the worst experiences right, from what yeah. they saw and what they couldn't do about it you know right. <clears throat> but just back then i was very slender and had short hair and it worked you know it worked wow that must have so have you,
1: have you resurrected that story at all
0: no You've thought about it i've i've thought but no but but because it was harder to get a lot of work there i went into the boston public schools and i was a storyteller in residence for about ten years, wow. so that's when I got into the folk tales because you know the, the population is so wonderfully diverse that I had yes. to learn stories from, you know, Cambodia and, and Puerto Rico and African American stories and you name it, Russian. You know, so that's when I really started to research and, and love the folk tales. Yeah, yeah, I, I,
1: I, as you know I have a uh, a huge passion for folk and fairy tales as well. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I'm gonna jump around a little bit. What do you think is, is is a big power that folk tales have over personal tales? And it's not a tra- it's not a trick question or anything right, like that. Right, right. But what do you think what do you think um, folk and fairy tales offer that's different to personal tales? Maybe that's a better question.
0: Well I think they um, they give everybody something to relate to. They they have a, a form that even though personal good personal tales have the f- same form, mm. they allow everyone to you know they're universal, and so they allow everybody to sort of imagine themselves in that situation, and and they allow you to be um, open-minded and empathize with all different types of characters, mm. and to see yourself and relate you know to those characters, which mm. can be very true with a personal tale as well, but. I think just learning you know hearing there's so many archetypes do you
1: think that's, that's yeah that's yeah probably what
0: it is? yeah and the structure and you know, just knowing the structure yeah. that there's a character with a problem and they get help and meet people that help them along the way and then they they come out with it you know they come out with the, in the end with a solution and they're they're better off or the world is better off or something's yeah, better off yeah. I mean those are the ones worth telling in my mind yeah, yeah that's just that's our lives right yeah oh it
1: totally is it totally is what lights your eyes up when you're telling
0: stories? Well, <laughs> just really becoming the characters, Yeah. just really stepping into their shoes. That's when I have the most fun. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah when, I've heard you, when I've heard you tell, and also on your CD, you can hear it on the CD, um, you really get a sense that you do become that character and that you are, you know, you've taken on their mantle and their shoes and their hat yeah, and their yeah. scarf, whatever. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's remarkable. I, I love listening to your stories. But anyway, um, you work a lot, a lot with schools and you teach um, a lot about compassion, how to overcome bullying. Um, it seems that school-aged children working with the issues of growing up is something you're really passionate about.
0: Yeah, I'm not doing it as much as I have, but okay. but yes, for a long time, I did the bullying program. There was a lot of call for it. Yeah. And um, it's so tough. I mean, it's been going on since you and I were kids, and right. it's still going on. Do you think there's more compassion now, though? Not necessarily. Not, I think, I think there's still the same kids that are struggling and not feeling any power, and so they take it out on other kids who appear vulnerable, I think that's just so classic. I mean, I I think we're trying, or trying to build compassion and empathy, Mm -hmm. trying to help, you know, the bystander to see that they have a choice, that they don't have to take a side, and that they can do things. I mean, that was sort of the most, I think, valuable part of my program, which... said I don't do as much anymore but was teaching them literally telling stories and teaching them ways of standing and helping the bystander to move away you know physically and and emotionally to surround them and and uh, have ways to talk back so what kind of work are you doing now then if you're not doing that that, the bullying stuff well because I work as a psychotherapist as well Mm -hmm. I um, my focus mostly is on um, the, the therapeutic aspects of story. Okay. And so I do a lot of work in churches, mostly okay. Unitarian and Congregationalists, so anyone who'll have me, but that tends to be. Mm. So people will, will call up and say, we're doing this theme on, like it was journey stories, the mm-hmm. one I did last weekend. And what could you, you know, what can you do? Because they they liked me to tell stories, and weave in the theme. Right. So I did a whole thing on hero story, you know, the hero journey, hero right. heroine journey, and that was really fun. It definitely is work because you're, you know, you're you're having to think about how to talk in between the stories. Right. And um, but but usually I can find, you know, I do a lot of my mindfulness work, a lot of my forgiveness story programs. Um, someone had me wanted me to come in to do white privilege and i have a story from my own growing up that that i shared um so it's lovely because it's it's creative you're not just oh here i go with my same old thing again which was nice but
1: (laughs) it's also what bill said yesterday it's work
0: that's right (laughs) It it is tons of work which i yeah so so that is that is tends to be where I am doing my storytelling right. mostly, because I don't market anymore to the schools. I just don't have time. Yeah. Um, but that, and I really love teaching, uh, like I did yesterday, the telling your own story right. work and. I'm writing. I'm still writing this book. I've been writing <laughs> since my CD came out in 2013. So this is
1: going to be the companion book to the forgiveness CD. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Yeah,
0: and I've been writing it now yeah. for that's six gonna years. It's going to be a
1: big book. It is, and it's. It, it, I mean, based on the fact that it's two CDs.
0: Right, and it's not. It it's not so much a companion as it's a real expansion. Right, okay. Um, so, and the model that I'm using now, which I, I'm still not convinced I'll keep, is sort of like my first book, Doorways, where there are yeah. 52 tales that you move through the tasks of the forgiveness process, starting with just understanding what it is and understanding, uh, remembering stories you already have of being forgiven and forgiving others and moving into. Grief, you know, what we lose when we when something happens that we need, that needs forgiveness, there's always grief there, and mm. and then the whole thing of shifting perspectives uh, to help us to have empathy for ourselves and others, and and looking at anger and what we get from it, and so it's just this long, you know, and then it moves it moves into sharing some biographical stories of others who've done it, and. And the whole while, it's helping people to be working on their own stories. Right. So it's big. So you graduated from
1: Leslie in 1998, and you've had a practice as a licensed psychotherapist for about 15 years, is that right? Yeah. When did you take on the psychotherapist part, and, and why?
0: In my very first work, after the Vietnam stories, I started leading workshop. Maybe it was even before from my work doing the the, telling. What what was it called? Dancing, her stories in motion is what our first group thing was called. Mm -hmm. So I started leading groups of women, way back in my home or other people's, and we would do like an eight or nine week thing. And always that was my interest was seeing sort of how healing happens. That was the same with the Vietnam story: is how does this character finally get to the point where he can grieve you know he's gone to the wall and he finds that he's looking for his own name on the wall you know <laughs> and 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 how and, and how you know how he how, how hard it was to get to grief and to healing and, and that was what interested me most so then I sort of found that interest in helping women to tell their stories and then helping anyone to tell their stories and it's just always been my my interest and you know, through my own experiences, uh, wanting to be able to share things with people that might be hard to share, just to help make it easier. So, yeah, so it's always been there.
1: Yeah, it opens a door. Hmm? When you you share your own personal story, especially with something as as hard as that. Yeah. You know, because people don't want to talk about that stuff. And if you open a door and make yourself vulnerable, then it gives them the opportunity to think well if they can do it then maybe i can
0: exactly And that might
1: it might not open the door all the way but it might unlock give some permission that's
0: right and let a little bit of light in exactly yeah and that's so much of of suffering is feeling that we're alone yeah so much of it Yeah. yeah
1: you are very well read on a lot of different religions and beliefs um Where does that come from?
0: What drives that interest of you? Well, straight out of... Which I love, because I'm similar. You are, I can tell, yeah. You know, writing my first book, Doorways, um, I wanted little short gems of wisdom from all around the world. And so I started, you know, I spent so much time in the library back then, because that's all there was. And, you know, working with the... Margaret Reed McDonald's motif index and I'd find a story that I loved, but I wanted to see if they were it was from other cultures so I would read about those other cultures and and so yeah, so I just you know from the, the Sufi masters to reading about the um, uh, What is it called? My brain's not working the, the Hasidic masters reading those stories as well as you know from every every culture of the world, the Buddhist stories, and I've studied Buddhism. I do some meditation, and so I've perhaps studied that most deeply. Right. Um, do you label yourself um, or align
1: more with one of the one of the religions that you studied?
0: Well, I was which raised. A really hard question. I was raised as a Unitarian, which is a very gentle form of Christianity. Which you know, Jesus as a Storyteller teacher, yeah. you know who got enlightened, and it was just a big fountain of love, and that sounds good to me. But you know, I do practice a Buddhist meditation, Vipassana. But I just think it's so p- wonderful to pull from all the religions because yeah. they all have so much wisdom to share. I do. So that's that's the that's the food.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I started reading the Ramayan, um, I realized I was you know. And even, you know, even more.
0: There's Ooh. even more mm-hmm. to,
1: to learn. Oh, yes. You know, you can read the the the, the Bhagavad Gita, um, but this that's just like a it's like a slither of a fingernail mm. on a whole body of mythology and oh, belief. My it's, it's, it's it's tremendous. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, what do you think has been your most Rewarding work that you've done either collectively with other people or on your own
0: well i guess um i guess the forgiveness work because it really transcends storytelling and my therapeutic worlds that now a lot of people who come to me come because they see that i help with forgiveness process yeah. so i think that that um that feels that way now though of course back then it was being in the Boston public schools and helping the shy little kids whose chins were you know, sewn to their chest to, yeah. you know, to look up and see people smiling at them as they told their story you know, so it's, it's the full gamut of um, yeah. helping so, people feel good
1: Having this discussion and, you know, and, and learning more about you it seems that there's definitely this, this path that you found very early on and that path has become more focused but it's also become broader at the same time in in the process from from being uh, a dancer to help heal women to a forgiveness program that heals everyone it's and it's, it, it seems at least from the conversation do you see that as well yeah yeah, yeah. it's really cool that yeah that, that, that trajectory
0: is. I know it's lovely to look at our paths, isn't it? I know, it? <laughs> right?
1: Because I know when I look at my path, it goes all over this. That's right. the most it's, crooked path.
0: But yet, has. but yet, I have this image as a basket, and all along the way, we are gathering things into our basket. Oh, that right. then, when we get, you know, further along, yeah. they all become useful. Every single one of them.
1: And I like, you know, what I like about that analogy is that, you know, as, as we get to our, our silver years. We have this basket filled with fruit, mm-hmm. and then we can give that fruit back That's right. to other people. That's right. What an amazing analogy! I love yeah, that. Yeah. Well,
0: it's you it know was brilliant. You really it have. came along at a time when I was thinking, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> you know, stick to one thing. You
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> all right. Sorry. What was your most unexpected and enjoyable workshop or gig that you've done?
0: Oh, I. Yeah, I was invited to come to a school that was moving. It was a special school. They had had a principal for like 30 years and they'd been in this really old building and they were very arts-oriented and they were different from the rest of the town. It was the McCarthy Town School in Acton, Massachusetts. And the principal had just left and they were had to move into a school, that a modern school they would share with another um, school. Right. And they asked me to come collect stories from the history of the school and tell them in segments, one one a week for about 10 weeks and each week a different grade would draw pictures from the stories and put them up on the walls. Oh, wow. So I went in and I began talking to the teachers and the principal I talked to a lot who'd been there so long and. And it, this theme of animal stories just abounded. Because it was such an old building, there were constantly animals getting into the school and you know, being brought in. And they were very relaxed and allowing. And it, it just occurred to me that the best way to tell it was for me to be a little mouse named Maddie, who had come in on the first day of the first day of school into the principal's office and had lived there ever since and had seen everything. And because of being an, an animal, was there at night and was there for all the special happenings that went on, and and it really worked. Everybody, you know, loved Maddie, and yeah. and um, and the stories were just some of them were so beautiful and compassionate and uh, and moving, and uh, <laughs> so that's so that so, so yeah, so it was really fun and uh, really different. Yeah, that's so cool. I love the fact that you became the the little of course well don't you find that a lot I find that a lot I do a lot of first person because sometimes I just can't get something off the ground it's just like clunk yeah and as soon as I step into the character in first person it has life yeah right so that that's familiar to me that's that's really cool yeah yeah so
1: you you've been doing this for a long time and you've met a lot of storytellers um but you, you're, you've. If I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that you're very much based, and being in set in New England. Am I right? Yes. So most of the storytellers I imagine are those that live and work in New England or have been visiting New England. Um, of the storytellers that you've met, who, who do you think had the biggest influence on you?
0: Well. As a teller, definitely Jay O'Callaghan, because of the way he embodies characters and yes. just loves them to death, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so and he was one of the first I saw. Right. We had the Three Apples Festival out in Harvard, Mass., and he told his, um, what was her name, story. His elbows bruised the air. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, um, so that, that was my, as soon as I saw him, because that was when I was still working on my dance, um, Battered Woman piece. It was like, yes, this is this is it. This is what I have to do. And so that was wonderful and, and but then Doug, I did take a lot of classes with Doug and he was just so positive. Yeah. And I remember, you know, he was helping me work on my Vietnam stories and we couldn't think of a good title. And I was actually helping him. I was working as his little office person at the time, oh, really? you know. <laughs> he also taught me how to use a computer. It was way back then. We had the little tiny Macs. And um, one day I came into work and he had written on a big sign on the outside of the door of his office. It said "The Defoliated Heart," and that became the title of my piece, my wow. Vietnam piece. Yeah. So he, you know, he definitely believed in me and and helped me along That's a so lot. Cool. Yeah. That's and, um, nice. So he's a very compassionate um, teacher. Coach. Oh, he's so much so. Yeah, yeah. He just loves loves bringing people along. He does. It's, yeah. it's really cool. Yeah,
1: If, if there was a storyteller that you haven't yet met, either living or dead, um, that you would like to swap stories with, who would that be, do you think?
0: Um, there's someone, and I'm not remembering her name, who Penny, my friend Penny Post, yeah. used to live out in, in California, and she knew all the t- tellers out there. And she's often saying to me, oh, you would have just loved this person. That you, would, you have so much in common. Your telling is just like theirs. And... But now I can't think of her name, so that doesn't do us a lot of good. <laughs> <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> uh, yeah, someone who, who I don't know if he's still alive anymore is Michael Cotter, who was um, from Wisconsin. And he, I met him at the National Storytelling, and then he had me come out there, just farmer on a farm, but told the most beautiful stories. You know, I think I love this, that kind of down-to-earth family, some hard, Stories, yeah. but um,
1: yeah, if you're a farmer, it's yeah. that's not
0: an easy life. Yeah, and my, my grandfather was tried to be. Yeah. Um, my grandfather was.
1: He was uh, he worked on farms. He was a cowboy.
0: Was he? Yeah. Oh, neat. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I haven't answered your question too well. Um, <laughs> I, um, you know, I love Elizabeth Ellis. I love listening to her and. Yeah. She's also a very generous... She is. ...storyteller. Yeah, she's um, a
1: remarkable woman. We, we have some really good people in our... In the
0: movement. In the movement, in
1: the yeah, world, for sure, yeah, for sure, for sure.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, <clears throat> if, what, what advice would you give to a young teller coming up who wants to do this? What, what advice would you give them?
0: Yeah, to really honor their unique gifts because right, it's so easy to see other people and think oh I you know I should be like them right. but it's when you when you find your own way you know which is one thing that Doug did our first class he had us all tell the same story and everybody thought oh crap what, a, what is this going to kill us all cuz we're going to be competing but they were seven or eight completely different stories yeah. and mine was told standing up as sort of with a lot of movement in it which I love and that helped you know that really cemented for me right there that right. You know you could be Jackie Torrance sitting in a chair and never moving and just wowing everyone with your your face yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. your facial expressions are somebody's whose voice just can you know go everywhere or your humor or, you know there's no we all have our own gifts and we don't have to be everything Anybody else we yeah to be our selves, yeah because that's what right? that's we're bringing that basket of life experience with us and that's half of it too is what we've learned and heard and and that makes us who we are so that would be my advice. Do you have a favorite story at the moment that you like to tell? My favorite funnest story to tell Mm -hmm. is one that I told a few years ago at the Oleo, the fear monster story it's an Egyptian folk tale about a boy who's afraid of everything and his father sends him out on would a. You like to, would on you, a, you like to? tell it? Well, it's it? it's is it too long? about twelve minutes long, <laughs> okay. but just it, it's so much fun. You know, he meets a rabbit. His father sends him out on a quest to find his courage and overcome his fear, right? Uh-huh. And he meets a rabbit on the road who, you know, is a is a mindful. Says, oh, observation, young man, rushing down the path is in in mortal danger. Trips and falls over a rock and lies there trembling." what on earth is going on? And he tells him, you know, and he says, ah, oh, perhaps I could, you know, pick me up, I could give you some advice. And he teaches him about being in the present moment like a rabbit has to be, right? Yeah. And, and so he learns to, instead of worrying about what could happen, he thinks about what is happening. And he eventually meets the fear monster and learns that things are always worse when we imagine them than when we meet them in the moment. And, you know, that's a very short <laughs> version, yes. but it's just so much fun to tell. There's so many wonderful characters in it and, it's and it's but it's so true, you know. Yeah. we're all so anxious these days and not able to be in the moment. There's a lot of distraction on all
1: sorts of different levels. Oh my levels. gosh, isn't there? And I think that is a huge problem that the younger generations are going to have because of the the spinning that happens everywhere.
0: Oh, I know. Yeah, you know, oh. I mean, I,
1: I look at. You know, I, I use Facebook and Instagram and, you know, I, I've noticed that the ads are changing in, in their style and they're becoming more personal. Like, oh, yes. it sounds like someone's just, it's, it looks like somebody's doing a YouTube video about something or other, but it's not, it's a—it's an ad. Yes. And and the news is almost yeah. like that, you know, there's, there's spin and... And because the internet is so huge and so accessible, people can put whatever they want up, which is great for freedom of speech and it's great for, for ideas and all the rest of it. And it also means that there are these haters and trolls that put stuff up there that people watch and
0: and believe. That's right, because we're all so afraid. They're, they're, right. You know, they <laughs> they believe anything they hear. Right. It's right. yeah. It's it's doing it's playing havoc with our our sense of unity in this country and our well-being. It's not just
1: here. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. Like it's global. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. I mean, I you know, it's, a lot of people bash America, but it's like, no, it's going on everywhere. I mean, I talk to my family back home, and it's crazy. So is there any any last piece of advice or wisdom or thought that you'd like to share with, any, with our listeners here?
0: Well, I think if I think about some of the story images that are most powerful for me they're the ones uh, where you go you meet the character the, the disguised helper yes you know who looks like the most hideous woman you know, with no teeth and horse like hair and red eyes and she says, well, you can drink from the well, but you've got to give me a kiss, you know? Or the woman at the bottom of the river wrapped in old fish line saying, you know, lick my sores, and you're like, ah, run in the other yes. direction, <laughs> you know? But that's you tending to yourself and being willing to face all parts of yourself and love all of who you are, you know? It's that, being willing to stay and saying, of course, I'm going to honor the one, the divinity in all of us, honor the oneness, right. that we're all the same. And we, you know, that disguise helps us to then, if we can face it, we can face anything in ourselves and, and heal, so that's, I guess those are the profound, the most profound places in story that I, I, um, I like people to be able to go to, and in real life too, of course, right? Yeah, We're all disguised here uh, helpers. And mentors.
1: Yeah, some of us not so disguised.
0: That's right, but (laughs) but yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So those, I guess, that would be my parting thought. Well, thank you so much for
1: doing this interview. I really appreciate
0: it. You're welcome. It's so much fun. Yeah.
1: Thanks, Salisa, for taking time out of the conference to have this conversation with me. We had a good time and not too few laughs along the way either. I hope you, my listeners, enjoyed the conversation as much as I did and learned much about how traditional tales can be used to help heal. Thanks to Ben Schultz who provided the music for my podcast. Creating this show is very much a labour of love. To help keep this podcast going and to help create more, please consider making a donation. You can do this through my Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash Simon Brooks. There's no E in Brooks. A dollar a month, a $20 bill if you want. A single donation if you like a particular episode will all help me reach out further and create more of these conversations and make them better. If not, it's no big deal we all have bills to pay i understand if you can and i know you can leave a review on stitcher itunes wherever else you found this episode it helps not just me but it helps others find this podcast too please jump on the interwebs and find out more about my guests follow them and me if you like all of my guests are tremendous storytellers which is why i ask them to join me Again, thanks for listening and being there. I hope you join me for the next episode of Conversations with Storytellers, when the guest will be. Shh, it's a secret. Think about sharing an email with me telling me what you liked most about this particular interview or any other conversation you have heard on my podcast. I would love to know. Until next time. Hey, Tim, what are you doing next week?